Our story today centers on a man named Jacob. Jacob was a pretty cool Bible guy who actually got to wrestle with God. My hunch is God went easy on him. It was kind of like a dad wrestling with his five-year-old. But hey, Jacob held his own. Have you ever wrestled with God? I hope you have. We all need that kind of encounter with the one who loves us enough to wrestle with us in our confusion, in our rebellion, and in our chaos. It's an interesting story that brings us to the place of Jacob grappling with one of those pre-incarnate manifestations of Jesus that we've been talking about. And here in Genesis 32, we have a theophany. A theophany is an actual bodily presence of Jesus before he was born of Mary in the legendary Christmas tale of Luke 2 fame. This is more than a type and more than a shadow. This was Jesus in the Old Testament. That's the title of the series. This is part five. Today, we are left with a limp. And I want to welcome you to our live stream again today. I so appreciate you investing, intentionally investing and engaging and watching the live stream this morning. Thank you so much for that. And if you're new to Central Assembly via the live stream, I would really like to hear from you. I would really love it if you would call the church office, 715-394-5567. Call the church office and ask for Tom. I would love to chat with you if you are new via the live stream since, since we've been broadcasting. But anyway, back to Jacob. Jacob got to wrestle with God. Of course, there's a backstory that brings us to where we are in the narrative. Jacob had a backstory. You have a backstory, don't you? I know I do. And I've had the, the pleasure and the privilege of listening to a lot of people tell their story over the years. And the backstory almost always involves a wrestling match with God. I'll make a few detours along the way, but most of what we will read will come from Genesis chapter 32. You can turn there. I love the thought of visualizing you in my mind, watching the sermon on your live stream with your Bible open on your lap, your Bible open on the table, engaged in what we're talking about today, reading from Genesis 32. And let's start today by looking at Jacob's backstory. Let's look at Jacob's past. Jacob had been a deceiver from literally day one. He was born trying to grab the heel of his twin brother and supplant him as the firstborn, according to Genesis 25, 26. An auspicious beginning, to be sure. But in a way, that's where we all begin. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, the psalmist says, and in sin did my mother conceive me. It's true, isn't it? I was born sinful. We are born in sin. You don't have to teach a child to hit his siblings or to steal toys from their playmates. That comes naturally. You do have to teach them to be nice, and you do have to teach them to share. Selfishness is instinctive. 
We have a natural bent toward greed and our own self-interest. And that can get us into trouble. That's what happened in Jacob's case. Later in life, perhaps as an adult, Jacob achieved what he had failed to accomplish as an infant. He exploited his brother's hunger to get Esau to sign away the rights and privileges of the firstborn. Imagine the regret of his brother Esau having forfeited the many monetary and positional benefits of his birthright in the passion of the moment. But Jacob wasn't finished. He went on to dupe their father into giving him the blessing reserved for Esau in an elaborate plan that would take advantage of their declining father's age and failing eyesight. These are the activities and choices that would earn Jacob the name supplanter and swindler and would arouse the wrath of his twin brother Esau. So in order to protect Jacob from his enraged older brother, their mother, Rebekah, sent Jacob away to live with his uncle Laban. The subsequent years would take Jacob a lot of places. He would experience more conflict and, and even came out on the short end of some of what some would say was a bit of his own medicine. I'm sure for Jacob, like you and me, the years were good teachers. Time has a way of putting things into perspective. At least it should. I always marvel when, when people say, if I could live my life over, I wouldn't change a thing. I always think to myself, really? You would hurt all the same people over again? You would make all the same foolish mistakes all over again? Really? I, I, don't, I don't think that's wise. Time should teach us. Experience should grow us. How many times do you have to touch the wood stove before you figure out this is hot? Time and life had taught Jacob some lessons. Now in the course of life's events, Jacob and his entourage are making their way back to Jacob's homeland. It was to be a reunion of sorts. And as he gets close to home and he's about to enter Canaan, after his extended absence, he prepares to meet his older brother from whom he has long been estranged. Now, keep in mind, there was no Facebook, there was no postal system, there was no texting, no calling, no FaceTime, no email to stay in touch with. Jacob and his twin brother Esau had gone years without communicating in any way. Jacob had no idea of his older brother's state of mind. Was he angry and building resentment as time went on? Was he bitter and hate-filled? Was Esau biding his time, waiting for the opportunity to exact his pound of flesh from the one who had left such hurt in his life? Some people live that way, you know. They dream of revenge. They long for vengeance. They, they replay over and over what they would do if only they had the opportunity to even the score. Is that how you choose to live? 
I hope not. Was that how Esau was choosing to live? Jacob was left to wonder. So Jacob sent messengers out ahead to give Esau some advance notice of his return. Now we're in Genesis 32, verse 6, says, And the messengers that Jacob had sent out returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he's coming to meet you, and he has 400 men with him. Verse 7 says, Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and so he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two groups, two bands. His logic was if Esau attacks, at least half of Jacob's family and servants could escape. And now with all the preparations in place for his encounter with Esau, let's check out verse 22. It says, He arose that night, he took his two wives and his two women servants and his eleven sons. And he passed over the ford Jabbok, and he took them and he sent them over the brook, over the river, and he sent over all that he had. The two wives that we read of there were Rachel and Leah. And the 11 sons would eventually be the 12 tribes of Israel once Benjamin was born. Jacob was somewhere in middle age at this point. He had a passel of kids and a, and a bit of a tainted past. He'd been around. He had tasted a lot of life by this point in his journey. And now as the night approached on the eve of his encounter with the army of his estranged brother, Jacob, having helped his wives and his children over the river, desired to be left alone, that he might spread his cares and fears before God in prayer. The subtitle between verses in my Bible describes it as Jacob's prayer of distress. And so it was. It begins in verse 9 and it takes you through verse 12. It's a great prayer. You, you've prayed this prayer before and so have I. He says things like, I'm not worthy of the, the least of your mercies. I've prayed that. And he prays, deliver me from the hand of Esau lest he come and smite me. I've prayed that. And then Jacob prays, if you do, I will surely do good. I've prayed that too. See, we've all prayed that prayer. God was using our desperate situation to, to get our attention and accomplish his work in us. And God was at work in Jacob too. Jacob had certainly known God. After all, his father was Isaac and his grandfather was Abraham. Jacob knew God. He knew him, but he had yet to experience him. Listen, if you're a second or third generation Christian, I have no doubt that you know God, but you still need to experience God. Jacob was about to. This brings us to where we are in today's text, uh, and we'll talk about Jacob's present. Here in, in Genesis 32, Jacob found himself at a crossroad. He had always been able to manipulate the circumstances for his own benefit. He was 
shrewd and clever, and that had always gotten him through. I mean, people would eventually catch on. That's why he always seemed to be on the run. But his cunning had always provided enough of a head start to where he would be able to lay low until the heat was off. But it had not made him any friends, that's for sure. He had a reputation, and he had a name. But this time, Jacob took a different approach. It's reflected in his prayer, and it's reflected in the travail he was experiencing in his heart. It took him somewhere he had never been before. And as a result, Jacob would never be the same. Let's read from Genesis 32. I'll begin in verse 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and there he wrestled with a man until the break of day. Now the one who Jacob wrestled with was a theophany. This this was God. His old nature was wrestling with God and it would lose. But somewhere in the middle of the struggle, somewhere in the middle of this encounter with God, somewhere in the course of a long night spent struggling with God, a new man would emerge. Verse 25 says, And when he, speaking of the theophany, saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he, the theophany, said, let me go for the day breaks. And Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said unto him, what's your name? And he said, Jacob. And the theophany said, your name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince you have power with God and with men and have prevailed. Down to verse 30, Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose upon him, and the King James says he halted. It means he limped upon his thigh. Have you wrestled with God? I hope you have. When we get to our pineal, the place where we're desperate enough to wrestle with God, the place where we see God face to face, we will be confronted with the extreme conflictedness of both of of who we are and who we can be. And I think we struggle with that more than we realize. But what many of us will find is that the struggle of life and the ultimate experience of wrestling with God can leave us with a limp. The encounter may leave us with a wound. The bruises may be physical or the trauma might be emotional, but either way, your pain will build your muscle. God never wastes a hurt. Your scar can serve a purpose. If you attend Central Assembly, you know my daughter Gloria. She's an amazing young woman now, but she'll always be my little girl. She's one of my four children, and one of my remarkable and beautiful three daughters, all of whom attend here. Gloria has grown into a wife and is mom to three pretty special kids that call me grandpa. But Gloria, like Jacob, has a backstory. 
And if we rewind the tape all the way back to 1989 when Gloria was born, we would see the first year was not without distress. Gloria seemed fine, but she failed to meet the age-appropriate markers newborns and toddlers achieve. She didn't crawl and she didn't pull herself up. Her lower extremities seemed to be the center of the deficit. To make a long and amazing story short, she was eventually diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Cerebral palsy is a condition resulting from something during the pregnancy or birth that leaves the child with some sort of deficit. It's not degenerative. In other words, it doesn't get worse, and it's not regenerative, meaning it doesn't get any better. The damage that has occurred is what it is. The doctors told us the odds were she would never walk as the issues were with her lower extremities. For the better part of five years, we saw doctors and therapists and traveled to Gillette Children's Hospital in St. Paul on a regular basis as we saw to it that Gloria had the best care possible. As kindergarten approached, Gloria had made remarkable strides, literally. She had started to walk. She even served as the flower girl in the wedding of her physical therapist. And then the doctors at Gillette Children's Hospital did something they don't do very often. They discharged a cerebral palsy patient from their care. She had been healed of an incurable condition that in the natural course of events would have limited her her entire life. The miracle was written up in the Pentecostal Evangel, the publication at the time of the Assemblies of God worldwide. There was also a local article in the Superior Telegram when Gloria took part as a kindergartner in a fundraiser for her school, Maranatha Academy. After she had started taking her first steps, the doctors had said, well, maybe she'll walk, but don't expect her to run any marathons. The fundraiser was called the Maranathathon, and a five-year-old Gloria ran like there was no tomorrow. I say all that to say this. One of the tests they ran when they were still trying to diagnose this one-year-old little girl was a muscle biopsy. They made a small, less than one-inch incision on her left thigh. That was no big deal then, but it has since stretched into an eight-inch scar on the front of Gloria's adult leg. There was a day some time ago when one of Gloria's friends asked her if the scar on the front of her thigh bothered her. And Gloria said, no, it reminds me God has healed me. I hope somewhere on life's road you have to wrestle with God. And I hope somewhere along your journey you encounter God to the degree that he changes you forever. And in some form or fashion, you're left with a limp. You're left with a scar. You're left with a reminder of your backstory and how God has made you new. Let me give you five proofs this morning of how Jacob wrestled with God. Number one, Jacob knew the one he wrestled with 
was the one who could bless him. Verse 26, I will not let you go, he says, until you bless me. I love that, and I think God loved it too. Number two, the sinew of his thigh shrank miraculously from a simple touch of the hand of God. Number three, the blessing bestowed upon Jacob was a blessing only God could bestow. God changed who Jacob was. Number four, Jacob knew he had seen the face of God, verse 30, so he called the place Peniel. And number five, Jacob claimed salvation by means of this encounter. I have seen God, and my life is saved. My life is preserved. I hope and pray that you have had a wrestling match with God. And that takes us to Jacob's future. A lot had happened during that overnight wrestling match. Jacob had a new name and a new identity. God had asked Jacob his name, and, and that's super significant. God already knew, by the way. God asks a lot of questions he already knows the answer to. But God wanted Jacob to acknowledge his name. My name is Supplanter. My name is Swindler. My name is Deceiver. My name is Jacob. When Jacob had stolen Esau's blessing years earlier, his blind father asked him his name, and back then he lied. My name is Esau, he said. But now he tells the truth. My name is Jacob. I'm a deceiver. He had tried all his life to obtain the blessings through his own manipulation. But now he was repenting. Now he was surrendering. So God gives him a new name. You are no longer Jacob, God said. You are Israel. The blessing comes from the very heart of God. It's not Jacob manipulating a blessing for himself. This was God giving to him what Jacob so desperately wanted. The same is true for you and for me. The blessings we long for will not come through our own striving or our own deceit. The blessing of God comes as we are willing to surrender to his will. And that's where it, where it all starts, right? What's your name? What's your name? In other words, who are you now? In order for God to change your identity, hear me now, church, in order for God to change your identity, you have to be willing to acknowledge who you are now. That's step one. If you aren't willing to start there, God can't take you any further. You have to own who you are before God can make you into something new. And that's when God begins to move. God said you will no longer be called Jacob. Your new name is Israel. You will no longer be a trickster or a deceiver or supplanter. You will be Israel, prince of God. Jacob was a new man. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, the Bible says. Behold, all things are become new. Jacob was a, a new creation. 
Jacob was a brand new man. Jacob was born again. Jacob was now Israel, Prince of God. And I hope that's your story too. I hope you've encountered God. I hope he's taken what you were and made you into something new. I hope he's changed you from the inside out, and I hope he's given you a new name. That's what God does if we're willing to wrestle with him till the break of day. But there was still the matter of the limp. He was left with a limp. He had a scar. He would never be able to forget he wrestled with God. You see, that's what scars can do for us. That's what Gloria's scar does for her. Scars remind us of our encounter with God. Scars remind us that he touched our life and he changed our name. And while it's true, we're left with a limp, that's because we can never be the same. Gloria's scar doesn't hurt, but it'll always be there. Jacob's hip didn't hurt, but he was left with a limp. We simply cannot be the same after a night of wrestling with God. Jacob limped upon his thigh. In much the same way, Paul had a thorn in his flesh given to humble him, lest he should be too puffed up by the abundant revelation granted him. In much the same way, Jacob's lameness was to keep him mindful of this mysterious scene where some sort of victory had been yielded to him by the Almighty himself, lest he be puffed up and think the victory was his own and not God's. Now think about this. When it comes to meat eaten by Orthodox Jews, the sinew of the hip is carefully extracted. And where there are no persons skilled enough for that operation, they do not make use of the hind legs at all. The writer of Genesis records this as a Hebrew tradition out of remembrance of this amazing night to honor the memory of Jacob and his encounter with God. Verse 32 says, Therefore the children of Israel eat not the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh unto this day, because God touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh. Think about it. Jacob's encounter with God changed a culture. So can yours. Families can change as a result of your encounter with God. Generations can change as a result of your encounter with God. Workplaces can change. Neighborhoods can change. Cities can change as a result of your encounter with God. Oh, how I hope and pray you have a wrestling match with God. We discover who we are as we wrestle with God. The blessing comes as we wrestle through the night, through the trials, until the break of day. Our encounter with God changes us. We're left with a limp like Gloria, like Paul, like Jacob. It's true, when you've wrestled with God, we can never be the same. 
something I really like about Jacob. The Bible tells us he wouldn't give up. So God touched the hollow of his thigh, and from that moment on, he was left with a limp. And he called the name of the place Peniel, meaning I have seen God face to face. It's my prayer for you that you would encounter God. That's my prayer for you that that he would change you forever. That's my prayer for you that he would change your name and you would never be the same again. And somehow, some way, there would be a remnant. There would be a scar. There would be a limp. There would be something in your life that would remind you of the night you wrestled with God. You might know God. If you're watching my hunches, you know God. But we need to experience God. We need to experience Him. We need to to wrestle with Him. We need to acknowledge who we are so that He can change us into who we need to be. And that's a tough process. That involves letting go. That involves surrendering. That involves honesty and openness, transparency, and confession, and repentance. And it'll leave you with a limp. You will never be the same again. And that's a good thing. So I want to pray with you. I want to pray that that you don't settle for status quo Christianity. I want to pray that that you don't settle for for just being a good person out there in a world of not-so-good people. Because in reality, that's not enough. You need to do more than know God. You need to experience God. So that's my prayer. Lord, I pray for all those who are watching tonight, today, Lord, this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would touch us and change us and and renew us as we wrestle with you. Lord, maybe we think our trials are insurmountable. Maybe we think there's nothing that we can do. Lord, you've in reality just brought us to the place where you can do something new in us. If we will surrender, if we will do battle with you through the night, And when you say, okay, let me go, it's the break of day. If we say, no, I won't let you go until you answer. I won't let you go until I hear from you. That's where we need to be. Lord, I pray that you would take us from where we are to where we need to be as we wrestle through the night until the break of day give it all to you. We surrender it to you. Have your way, Lord, in us. Have your way, even if we're left with a limp. In Jesus' name, amen.